The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense this time from the Falcons game, that nice week 16 win against uh, Atlanta, 17-9. Guaranteed the Ravens a playoff berth. Nice place to be. Here to talk about with me is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how you doing? I'm good, Ken. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, it's really nice to have that guaranteed playoff berth wrapped up um, heading into week 17. So don't have that nail-biting kind of week to week at the end of the season, which is nice. Um, it, it's it's good position to be in, and, and I'm happy that it's not quite as stressful as it has been in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And there will be a little bit of stress over whether or not the Ravens play a home game. Obviously, week 17, they can control their own destiny on whether they get a chance to play for a home game by winning. Unfortunately, the schedule makers, the way they made it, put have Cincinnati playing on Monday night and the Ravens on Sunday night. So even with the, the late season unwanted night game addition via the flex scheduling versus the Steelers, uh, you know, it is an opportunity to to uh, be sure if they can win that game that they're playing for something if they want to in week 18. Yeah, and, you know, having one extra day of rest is always a nice thing compared to your opponent. So even though it's going to be a an away game, I think, you know, that might give the Ravens a little bit of a, a small advantage. And you can take everything you get at this time of the year. Yeah, great point. And uh, and obviously, uh, uh, you know, that's that's not insignificant. 
Uh, need to recognize our sponsor before we go any further. That's Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try. They've been good to us. Uh, they have a nice lime seltzer flavor you might like. Uh, sparkling, it's good, and uh, I uh, I would recommend it. Let's get back to talking about Lamar. Um, the, this, the sprained PCL is obviously you know left them in purgatory right now in terms of what they can hope for week to week. I mean, one of the things is they control their own destiny to play for a division title, but they have to win to do it. So this week 17 game is still important. How should the Ravens and Lamar approach playing in this game? So I would like to see him available and playing as soon as he's healthy enough to do so. And by no means does that mean, should we rush him back? Um, I, I think that would be a mistake if he's not 100% or, or very close to it. But I think, you know, getting an opportunity to play in the offense for two weeks rather than one week or zero weeks heading into the postseason would be better than not to kind of get back into the flow of things, feel comfortable with everything. Um, that to me would be the ideal scenario. But I do think, you know, health is obviously the most important thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I think so too. This is an unfortunate situation where the hardball way of talking about injuries, it doesn't leave the fans in the know, obviously. And, you know, I've always been very vocal about being of the opinion that that's the way to run your organization, that you ought to, you ought to injury information is, is of the highest import. You don't want to give the opponent any opportunity to game plan for what they need to do, or in the Bengals case, maybe even plan for what they don't need to do. Um, uh, go, Going, of course, the Bengals have the advantage of, of actually knowing after us what they'll need to do. But uh, this is a, um, a a very tough injury. Obviously, the Ravens want Lamar back desperately. Lamar probably wants to come back to sh- you know to a to play, but second of all, to show that he's worthy of a of a large contract uh, next year. And uh, I would I would hope he'll be back by the end of the season. I keep seeing models that seem to be progressively. Uh, worse about when he returns. Um, I've been kind of doing it with 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 people every week. We've kind of done it this week already, so I don't want to do it again. But Gabe, you're, I'll just let you go through this if you want. If you have to pick the three possibilities that I think are meaningful right now, and you could, could say four, does he return in week 17, what percentage? Week 18, what percentage? And playoffs or later, what percentage? Meaning playoffs are 23. Yeah, I, I think, you know, for me, he's probably 50-50 for this week. Um, and maybe that's being a little aggressive. Um, you know, they initially had targeted Christmas as the week to come and play. Um, and that obviously has gone and passed and he didn't play. So it's one of those injuries that's kind of a, a week to week and evaluate, keep evaluating. So I'll say 50% for this week. I think he will play next week i think they just want to have him out there probably at least to get some live fire so i would say probably 80 percent, and then i think he'll definitely play for the, the postseason i would say 100 percent for that okay so you, you, 50 30 20 on terms of the return time is that what i'm hearing or yeah yeah i mean in terms of not not in terms of likelihood of him coming i would say 50 percent, 80 percent, 100 percent. okay all right, fair enough. That's slightly different what you said, but that's okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna give you the the percentage chance of returning right now. I I had it only at nine percent uh, for this week. I think I'm down to about five right now. Harbaugh's comments. We'll just have to see. Today doesn't make me feel any better about the situation. I also don't think they they think it's as critical a 
win. Obviously, the Bengals are going to try very hard to, to, to go for the number one seed, you would think, or the number two seed for that matter, which is a big advantage. It, in, it, the one seed is here, the two seed is somewhere in the middle, and the three seed and the four seed are actually a long way down. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how that uh, how they how hard they play for it. But anyway, to, to get back to Lamar, I think it's about five percent this week. Mm. I would put it at about now. Really hard to say, but I would say something like forty five percent next week. And now I would shade it, which is the first time I've said playoffs are twenty three is is equal or more is fifty percent to the playoffs are twenty three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think I, it's time to get scared about that. I mean, if he's not available for the playoffs, that's that's a devastating. Um, that's a, de- I mean, that really would, I mean, completely kind of take the playoffs and say, why are you even there? I mean, <laughs> they have right. no chance of winning if if with without him. Um, so that's that's really unfortunate to think that you think it's higher percentage, but you know, I guess we just don't see enough information about it, and he hasn't looked like he's practiced. I mean, he obviously hasn't practiced at all. So I think that matters. Um, and that's probably why you're taking this into consideration like that. Right. He, he has not, there hasn't been a practice this week, but he, but he hasn't played, he hasn't practiced in the last nine, nine times. So that's, you know, it's, it's starting to get worried about, it. even if he comes back limited in this first day, it wouldn't be any guarantee that he's playing this, this weekend. It's true. All right. Well, anyway, that that purgatory is bad. Campbell and Peters, we also don't know anything about, of course. And and whether or not the Ravens can get by a game against the Steelers, I don't think there's any way to get by a game. No, I think it'd be very difficult to get by a game against the Bengals without Campbell and Peters. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, the Bengals are also missing a couple of players. I think they're missing both their starting defensive ends. So mm-hmm. that definitely is going to make um you know their defense a little bit less um potent as it than it has been but obviously i think their their offense is really what is frightening and and having possibly you know two of your best you know four or five players missing in that game would would definitely hurt the ravens chances especially if if lamar is also out yeah we're recording this uh at 11:13 p.m. right now on the 26th though so, so- just from that standpoint, Lyle Collins, their uh, tackle, hasn't really played that well uh, this year, is is now out for the season. Um, so uh, that's a, another a big loss for them, frankly. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I mean, like, I would agree with you. He hasn't been playing amazingly, but um, he is their starting tackle. He's one of the, I mean, he's been a very good quality tackle in the league mm-hmm. for several years now. Um, and he was a big addition for them in this offseason. And he's, you know, been up and down. So I have to imagine he's still better than the person playing behind him. So, you know, he's, you know, one of the big reasons why they struggled at times last year and ended up probably not winning when they might've had a better offense than the teams they're up against was because of their offensive line. It's always been a Achilles heel for this team in the past few years. So, um, you know, you, you have to hope that the Ravens could take advantage of having a backup tackle when they, when they go to play and, you know, Campbell being in there would, would be a big player to help do that for sure. Yeah, that's that's a good point. They, obviously, they would really want to take advantage of the outside linebackers that they have available to them in a game like that and and get the best guys, the best options they have, whether that's OA or uh, even a Jabo perhaps, and, and certainly getting Houston more snaps than he maybe would play in another game uh, to try and take advantage of a, of a tackle like that. Um, 
let's let's go back to this game though for Atlanta. Another big game for the Ravens run game. And you know, whatever you think about the Ravens offense and the way they've done it, they they have been able to put together not only good run games, but that they've been able to run effectively when they really needed to. And in this drive, a couple plays, they ran off their own goal line for 14 yards uh, when they got the ball back on on one of the several red zone failures of the Falcons that were a turnover on downs late. And they also ran for what is becoming kind of a signature for this team, a, a, a closeout, um, you know, two minute or thereabouts uh, first down from from Gus Edwards. Yeah. I mean, I mean, those were obviously some of the key plays in this game in the fourth quarter at the end of the game to you know pick up a first down to really seal it. Um, but I, I think even in a game where they didn't try to pass, or I mean, they, they did pass a few times, but it, they were definitely trying to run the ball a lot more than pass it. Um, and they didn't even try to feint at really having a balanced attack in terms of the run pass ratio. And they were still able to run consistently. Um, and, and that, you know, it says a little bit about you know, the Atlanta Falcons defense, I think, you know, they don't have the most robust uh, defensive front. Um, but at the same time, you know, this Ravens O-line, I think, is is really playing at a high level. And, and they were winning at the point of attack and consistently opening up holes for the running backs. Um, and, and that's really what's going to be their key if they're going to have any success down the stretch and in the postseason. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the offensive line right now is the Ravens. It's obviously their biggest offensive asset right now. Uh, you know, but you might have made the point for tight end earlier in the season, but I don't think that's the case right now. I think it's it's what the offensive line is doing that's really special here. Uh, Tyler Huntley, this is a game where he took care of the football. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst and their infinitely recyclable Tallboy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff, and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. The defense certainly sealed the door with their plays in the red zone. I think, you know, ultimate, like just kind of a game manager game. It's not like Huntley didn't make a couple plays. He did. But what was really special about Huntley's performance is he only threw 17 passes. He didn't get sacked. He didn't throw an interception. That those were really the special things, and that's more of, you know, thinking back to Trent Dilfer. Not not an exceptionally efficient game in terms of, of the pass, but you know, basically the offensive line took pretty good care of him in the passing game, and he took pretty good care of the football. Yeah, um, especially I think in the in terms of pressure and, and handling pressure, um, there there was not a lot that the the Falcons did. They, they did you know, try to bring a few extra defenders every once in a while. Um, but I think, you know, the Ravens O-line was up to the task. They, they protected very well in this game, I thought. 
Um, and then aside from the one fumble on I think it was the third down run, I think, you know, he was very good without, with his decision-making, he wasn't trying to put it into um, dangerous situations downfield. Um, you know, he did throw into, you know, maybe double coverage once or twice, but they were not, you know, terribly dangerous passes, I would say. So overall, um, a very good conservative game, I think, from Tyler Huntley in this one, um, at least in terms of, you know, what he was able to do to keep the offense moving. Yeah, uh, certainly it did enough to keep the offense moving. It did a little bit of running himself, and you look at his final stat line, it's certainly not impressive. I think it's 11 for 26, but you got to take the kneels out of that, and then then he's, you know, what, 8 for 29, which is still not all that great, but he had some good short yardage plays. He's just not an elusive runner at all. Uh, he's not a guy who makes anybody miss. Um, and so you really notice the difference between Jackson there. So when you're look when you're looking for stylistic similarities, yes, he's capable of doing a read option, and yes, he's fast, but that just doesn't translate to yardage the way that Lamar's game does in terms of, of being elusive. Yeah, I mean, elusive is really the word. Um, he doesn't have that. I think one is awareness of what's going on around him. Um, he seems to be like hit really hard at times by a defender that he seemingly doesn't seem to avoid. You know, he takes, I think he's taken more big hits in the past three weeks than I've yes. seen Lamar take over the past two or three years, probably. Um, and that's just, you know, I think just a general level of athleticism that Lamar has that Huntley doesn't. And it's not to say Huntley is a bad athlete, but um, I think he's probably a, a good athlete at the position in the nfl but that's you know that that's not really something that's going to be making a huge difference um i, I frankly think there were maybe a couple too many designed runs for him in this game um and mm-hmm. the you know third and short i think you know that makes sense but on a first down or, or second and long that's probably not your best option especially in the red zone right yeah i i uh this just this just so much Huntley beating that we can do. We'll talk a little bit about his game and you know what kind of what did he make out of his passing opportunities and whatnot a little bit later. But there's only so much Huntley beating I want to engage in. I mean, he's he's honestly he's come in and he's done a, about what the Ravens should have expected him to do. And you know the fact that he's been a caretaker is probably a little better than he played. Not I wouldn't say it's a little better than he played. I think I think it's about the same as he played last year. Honestly, there were some risks. He had to he had to do more offensively to get the team going in some of those games, but he kept those games close as well. So a lot of, a lot of similarity. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the one big difference that I've seen between this year and last year is, is kind of the run pass ratio. And I think that's just due to the, how the offense is configured, frankly, you know, Mm -hmm. last year they didn't have a good running game. The offensive line was not nearly playing at the level that it's playing now. They didn't have the running backs that they have now. And the passing weapons are frankly a lot better, you know, Hollywood Brown, they had Duvernay, they had Bateman, they had Andrews. You know, that's a pretty good, I think, solid set of weapons that they had to pass. And and that's, frankly, what they leaned on. And, and Huntley was, you know, asked to do more in that. It was kind of a very quick, simple passing offense, but it, it was able to keep the offense going. Frankly, that's not on the table anymore with what the weapons are. So they've kind of changed gears and gone to a much more run-heavy offense and Based off the personnel, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, just the difference of tackle between this year and last year is so stark that I think you have to just chalk it up to that. I, that's why, you know, I'm I'm fairly sure, maybe ninety percent is maybe ninety five that Greg Roman is not going to be the offensive coordinator of the Ravens next year. 
But also, I think the, the, the Ravens ought to look at this. Ravens fans really ought to look at this and just appreciate what he's doing for this Ravens team right now in their current situation. And the schemed runs that ended up being the winners uh, really put the game away in the fourth quarter. We're right there. Edwards' whole game was was very good in terms of being good schemed runs with with you know some additional good running on his own on behalf. I don't want to minimize that in any way, uh, but they were just able to do a lot to get him out in space where he doesn't even have to run over people most of the time. He's got he gets some yakko as well, but his his yards before contact were very good on the on the runs that put the game away, including the. Uh, uh, the big one, the big two in the fourth quarter, one running him off the goal line and the other one that that, uh, that gave him the first down on second down, ran the clock to two minutes with the Falcons out of timeouts, which is effectively game over if you, you know, the like the time necessary for victory. Yeah, I, I really do think it's night and day, uh, the level of, of run blocking this year versus last year. Um, and then obviously the running backs too. Um, Edwards makes a huge difference. Dobbins makes a huge difference. Um, it's it's something that I would like to see with, with Lamar Jackson, with a healthy O-line, healthy running backs. It's not something that we've really had this year. Um, so that, that would be nice to see. Hopefully that can happen before the season ends. But um, I, th- I think there is a chance for this to be a really dynamic run game with, with all of them out there. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, certainly he certainly makes everybody better. And, you know, the, the, the person he's making much better is the quarterback position itself. In, in in that as well so uh yeah it, it would be exciting to see that in the playoffs even if they if they went back to their 2018 roots not 19 when he won the mvp even but 18 where they were you know they depended completely on the run and jackson doing a lot of it down the stretch and they were bullying teams week after week um i'd even be happy with that as a as a playoff strategy it might not be enough to win this year with with the, some of the other limitations this team has now in terms of, of passing weapons but uh but it'd be exciting to see that and and frankly if 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 that was the guarantee and jackson was back i'll take that over anything where huntley is the quarterback yeah i 100 agree with that so one of the questions i've been having trouble and kind of juggling in my own head but i want to talk to you about this as well was whether or not the ravens in their current state have a chance to really make 2023 be their year and and I, I have tremendous concern over the jackson situation right now because i just i don't know what's going on with the team i don't know what is the nature of the in-house mutiny that you know seems to be bubble up occasionally in, in comments by zeitler or in in terms of you know unfortunate paperwork outside the complex which some people think they can trace the handwriting on. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's someone who, who was taking a, a shot of Lamar Jackson exchanging jerseys with Deshaun Watson. And they had that. And the E's do look very similar mm-hmm. as well, I'll tell you. And the other thing about it is that the Ravens have cam- have cameras all over that place. Yeah. How can they not know who did this? And what incentive would they to not say if it if it were a player? Okay, stated otherwise, if if it were somebody who's working as a security guard or as a or a fan who snuck into the place, and they say, "Well, we, we we're, we're we're working with local police to try to fight," that that'd be great. Tell, tell us that, and honestly, that'd be a lot better. The, the fact that they're not talking about it makes me believe it probably was a player. 
And there's more likely, and that place is a, you know, it's not a fortress. I wouldn't call yeah. it that, even though they call it the castle, but it's got a guard post. You know, you can't get on there easy. I, I think you could probably run on there fairly easily. But then again, there's the camera situation. I, I, I just don't know that it's likely that it's anybody but a, a player or employee who's in that building regularly and is, is uh, you know, working out or performing other responsibilities and then throws something down. And whoever, whoever did it, you know, they either, if, if it's an internal player, they either thought it was funny or they were mad enough to do it. One of the two. If they thought it was funny, they got a terrible sense of humor. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think it's a funny situation. Um, I mean, there's there's so much frustration from the fan base already. This kind of thing just kind of like just makes it go nuclear. Um, so it's it's really um, that's probably like at best a very immature decision. Um, I do think there's probably frustration. That's that's where my guess would be, and I don't think that's probably the right way of taking it out either. And that would probably make sense for why the Ravens have kind of just pretended like it didn't happen. Um, because any discussion they're going to have is going to be kept internal. There's not, they're pretty good about not letting things leak out if, generally. If it's a player. Yeah. If it's a player. Yeah. Um, if, I mean, I think if it was personnel, then I think, um, that person might be quietly dismissed, you know, that, that, that wouldn't surprise me. It, it I, I would not be surprised if the person was quietly dismissed. I also wouldn't be surprised if it was publicly stated that someone was dismissed for this. Hmm. I mean, I just, I think, you know, you want to put the fire out if you can, or if there's no fire to worry about on your team, you, you probably want to quell that rumor. In any case, I am confident the team has met on this and, and not just offense and defense together, but all in one room, meaning, and Harbaugh said, look, we can't have this anymore. You got a problem, you come to us directly, but you, you leave paper outside, all you do is ruin this team in the media and whatnot and, and, and pull it apart. Uh, and, and they might even say, you know, if we find any, if we find out who did it, we're going to blah, 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 blah. Well, Lamar Jackson knows whatever threat that goes after the blah, blah, blah is complete crap. But there's a lot of other players on the team who it would not be complete crap for. And uh, I just I, I think when you when you get down to the immaturity of the thing, I think the likelihood that it is a. Young male under the age of 25 or 26 increases the immaturity <laughs> likelihood of it and you know there's a fair number of those in that building who could be the one so anyway uh i, I hate that being the discussion point here i really do because it's not the kind of thing i like to talk about on the show but it's i wish the whoever did it really had it, it uh it's not a good not a good look for the ravens but i i do think it it really brings back brings back to the question of you know what does next season look like um and and Lamar Jackson is is the massive, you know, Elephant. question mark. Like we, it's, I mean, franchise tag clearly is going to be something that's going to be used unless there's, you know, a, a contract that comes into um, agreement pretty quickly here. But they had all off season to kind of do the negotiation, and it didn't work in this past year. So it's questionable to to think, you know, how that's going to move forward. Um, so then that really affects the ability for the Ravens to make moves in free agency. They do have cap room, but if Lamar Jackson is under a franchise tag, that cap room is, is, you know, blown up. Like that doesn't exist. There have to be a lot of things that are going to have to happen. A couple other free agents that you would like to potentially bring back if you have cap room, but that really complicates it. Um, So it, it, it is a big question mark right now. Yeah. The big, the big signing would be very difficult to make if they, um, 
have Lamar playing on the franchise tag is what they do with Roquan Smith. It'd be very, it, it would be possible, but difficult to get him under a long-term contract with a low first-year cap hit. And I think he's the piece they're probably looking at as being the one they they might want to spend some money on. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's either him or Queen. I don't think there's a long-term way you keep both of those players. But then I I, I think if I had to guess, I, I'd probably say Roquan is the guy and and they would go with him. He's only two years older than Queen. Um, he's at a good point in his career in terms of of what he's putting out there on the field. And I think he's he's very clearly a leader and a guy who is the is the good first key for that defense that a lot of other inside linebackers could play next to. Um, and and I wouldn't want to lose Queen's athleticism or or the player he's become at this point. But on the other hand, he's going to be here for two more years. Yeah. Sorry, wait a minute. Confirm that. Yeah, two more years. Four, year four and five anyway, because they, they will pick up the option. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, maybe last time I was on the show, and it was right after Roquan played, mm-hmm. um, and we were talking about, you know, will, will Queen's option be picked up? And and I, I thought at the time that the answer was yes. I think it's definitely a yes right now. He's played mm-hmm. very well. And, and, you know, the option is does come with a price tag, but the linebacker price tag isn't the biggest one it can be. So, I think if he can play at this level over the next couple of years, you have to make that decision. At that point, you might not even know if you have Roquan Smith as under contract. So I think you you have to do that with with Queen, regardless of that. Um, And then just you know, either he's the guy moving forward or 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 Roquan. But either way, you'll have you know, hopefully two years of them together next to each other. Yeah, I don't know what the timing is of that when they have to officially pick up the fifth year option on players. I th- something tells me it's not the very beginning of the league year that it might be a little bit after that. So, you know, if, if Roquan is going to be a free agent before Patrick queen and yeah, they're going to have to make a choice and yeah, they're also going to have to make a choice about, you know, whether or not they can sign Roquan with Jackson and how that impacts any, as you mentioned, free agent money they have to spend early on in the process. Yeah. And then I think we have to think about, you know, you mentioned Greg Roman probably not coming back is Lamar Jackson have a big say in who's brought on as the offensive coordinator. You know, I think that's, you know, potentially a way to kind of get him to come back and say, you know, you can have your input here. Um, who do you think is going to be someone who can work well with you and, and put you in the offense that you want to be in? If he's going to sign here long-term, I think that's the kind of input that he needs to have, frankly, because I mean, you don't give him all of the decision-making power, but I think if you're going to give him a, $250 million contract or whatever it is, he, he needs to be happy here. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that that would be one way to try and bridge the contract gap with him. I'm not yeah. saying he's going to, he's going to take 50 million less because you, because you did that for him, but he might be more amenable to signing with the understanding that, that he has input under the next offensive coordinator. I, you know, another, they could do other things. I mean, there've been offenses in the past that are just put, put totally into the hands of the quarterback my sense is that Lamar is not exactly that guy right now. Um, and, and part of that comes from some of the slowness in terms of getting the play in from the, from the call that I don't think it's all Roman. I, one of the reasons I don't think it's all Roman is because Huntley seems to not really have the same issue with it. So, you know, I, I, I when I see that, then I think Lamar can become a good field general. I think he will you know, at some point he'll he'll naturally become that guy over time, where he just says, "Screw that, we're calling this," or, um, you know, I, I'm 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 going to plan plan L, not 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 A or B, um, because I like that better. I, I think I think he could could get that way in the two minute drill, for example. 
but uh, I don't really see it. Um, I don't really see it as something the Ravens would do to start the season. I think they want to have uh, an offensive coordinator who scripts plays, who who you know works with Lamar to get things right. But you know, if you know, the worst case scenario is Lamar says, "I want my quarterback guru." And the Ravens say, no, <laughs> yeah. he's got no NFL experience. We can't do that. Or that he wants T Martin and the Ravens don't really feel like he's ready. Cause that might be true too. So I, I, I don't, I just don't know who the guy is obviously who would, who would um, be someone, but maybe the, maybe the answer, maybe enough of it is that I don't think it's enough, but maybe some of it would be that Lamar has some veto power. They bring in people and he's part of the interview process. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. Just to have him as a voice in in the room, as as someone who's involved in the process, um, he can talk to the potential candidates and and kind of figure out who who he you know feels like is a, is a good fit for what he wants to do, um, if what he feels like his strengths are, um, and you know kind of give him at least some input into what type of offense he thinks he's going to be the most successful in. Yeah. And then obviously there will be other questions about, you know, are the Ravens going to get a wide receiver and this and that. And he had, he had a, he did have a tweet during, during the draft that was either mistook or, he, or it actually reflected his feelings and he was upset about it. But there was a WTF tweet that came from him after the Ravens took Hamilton. And I think also had taken Linderbaum with their second pick in the first round. Um, and, and he was obviously a little upset about that. Might've been, might've been actually between those picks. Yeah. I think it was more about when Hollywood was traded from what I can recall, mm-hmm. um, which I'm pretty sure they came out afterwards that he was made aware of that before it was going to happen. So I don't know if that was just kind of like for the, for the social media type impact that, that was going to make. Um, but it, you know, maybe he was also expecting a wide receiver to be taken Maybe that's what they told him. You know, we're going to trade Hollywood. He wants to be traded, but we're going to get you somebody else. And then that didn't happen. Right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what happened in this game. The, the run pass ratio we talked about in line with expectations, but fourth down, a huge deciding factor in this. And one of the nice things about fourth down is the Ravens didn't go for it at all in this game. And, you know, I'm not a big enemy of going for fourth down. I love aggressive fourth down style, but this was a case where, the Ravens were clearly the better team, um, not just on this day. They're a much better team than the Atlanta Falcons. And and uh, even with Tyler Huntley, even with the, the other injuries they had on the defense, they were still a lot better. And it's a good game to have the game decided by more plays and not less. And when you go forward on fourth down, you have the game decided by less plays. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm generally someone who tends to lean aggressive on the fourth down play calling. Um, but I think... Like you said, in this situation, you're the, you're clearly the the team that's better. You you want to, you know, basically take advantage of this, those opportunities um, to pin the other team back. You know, get a short field when they inevitably you know fail to convert, which was pretty much happening throughout the first half. Um, so I, I think you know they felt like their defense would not give up too many points. They ended up being correct about that in this game. So I like that. Um, that decision making in this one, um, obviously, the one play that you might think they made the wrong fourth down field choice goal. was the kick. Yeah, yeah, the field goal, a long kick in a very like adverse condition game. Um, but you know, I, th- I think that was um, just kind of giving the respect to Justin Tucker. You know, he's someone who's made a lot of difficult kicks in his in his time, and you know, he might have gone in if it wasn't blocked. So um, I, I don't hate that decision going for it. I think maybe you pin them there, but I will say that Jordan Stout hasn't been that great at pinning teams either. So I think 
it's it's probably a 50-50 coin flip there and you go with your your best kicker who's ever ever done it i think that's a, a reasonable decision to make there being at the game i'll just say i felt pretty strongly about punting there mm-hmm. and and the reason is that it was really the other direction on the field that the wind was blowing from and I, if you watch the kickoffs in particular going to that side of the field they were not making the end zone i mean they were they were hanging up and and being blown back and you know 6 8 12 yard line they were being fielded at kind of thing um and and some of that might be pooching some of it might be just hey kick the ball high that way because you got a chance for a free football you know because that that can happen um but it's it's it, in that direction uh which was effectively with the wind with tucker i still didn't like it because it was it wasn't a straight behind the kick thing it was more like a crosswind mm-hmm. crosswinds always suck for kickers if you have to do that anybody who's, who's ever golfed uh, and that's not really me can, can tell you how much they hate crosswinds. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't like that play, but anyway, it wasn't nearly as bad as what happened to the Falcons who went one of four on fourth down. And that was really a deciding factor in this game in terms of winning it. Yeah. And, um, I think one of them was like a fourth and five too. Like it was a, yep. a pretty long, um, space to go. And they were, you know, around the 50 yard line. It, it wasn't like terribly, weird field position to do it in like in your own side of the field but um they they hadn't really been moving the ball very well at that point so it was a bit of a surprise to see that happen um do you consider the the fourth down conversion that they they caught and then fumbled as a conversion or as as a failed attempt well i i think i would let's see i think the one of four does consider it as a failed attempt because they made one that was on a I think they needed one yard and they got two or four yes. on the other way yeah. to run. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a field attempt. There wasn't a first down after it is what they go by. Uh, so, you know, they could have won two out of four if they'd have held onto the football, but that's part of the game. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah they, they uh, obviously not great to see the Ravens lose the snap count battle as decisively as they did in this game. And losing it by 17 to the Falcons didn't really look good but you know one of the nice things about playing the the Falcons was they really ran the ball or sorry ran the clock out on themselves they mm-hmm. were running until late in the game if you if you thought Greg Roman should have been should have been running the ball with 10 minutes left to go against the Browns well the Falcons did that in, in this game it was it was maybe the best choice they had although Ritter hadn't been terrible all day but they certainly ran the clock out on themselves if you look at you know how those couple of drives developed and, uh, you know, got the ball down to the one-yard line, couldn't punch it in. And, unfortunately, I think that's some of what the Ravens would have faced, too, is that they, didn't, they don't have a great red zone percentage even when they're running the ball against Cleveland that previous week. And so you you, you got to accept some percentage chance they get a field goal, some percentage chance they lose it on downs, and some percentage chance they, they end up scoring there. So, uh, anyway, it, it didn't work for either trailing team is all I would say. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, they put up the I think the the stats in the game um, about how similar the the two rush attacks were for the two teams, mm-hmm. the Ravens and, and the Falcons, and they're both pretty much like neck and neck in terms of you know attempts per game, you know yards per game, like all all the kind of general rushing metrics. Um, both teams are pretty evenly um, matched in that perspective. Um, so you know, the, the Falcons are a decent offense. Like even with the quarterback deficiencies that they've had all year they've still been able to run the ball successfully for much of the season so you know that kind of speaks to their scheme obviously um arthur smith coming over from from tennessee with with uh derrick henry there a lot of wide zone um kind of that same kind of shanahan 
style of offense. Um, but it, it worked for them, you know, decently well throughout the season. I think this game, they were fairly effective at times, you know, they, they didn't have their best game by any stretch and the Ravens are very mm-hmm. stout against the run, but, uh, you know, they had some nice runs at times, so they weren't, they stuck with it and they were able to move the ball, especially in the second half. I felt. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And they, there definitely was some tiring by the Ravens defense in that fourth quarter that, that didn't look particularly great in terms of, of allowing some, some decent runs, but the Ravens did a very good job of penetrating against that zone scheme. And, and that really, bifurcates what the what the runner has available in terms of cutback lanes so that that was very effective and even when they when they got it all the way stretched out wide the Ravens still seemed to have guys coming every play you know Roquan and and Clark on the on the big play near the goal line of course mm-hmm. more compacted the field the more likely it is you're 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 going to fail trying to try to run lateral to the line of scrimmage but uh but I still liked uh like what the Ravens did uh, for, for the most part during this game in terms of stopping uh, zone as well as uh, as power. They didn't really – the Falcons don't run a lot of power, but, the, but like every team, they run some in terms of between the tackles uh, stuff. Uh, big difference in penalties in this game. Arthur Smith was you know going out of his mind on the sideline about things. I thought he was completely in the wrong on the intentional grounding. It looked to me very clearly that Ritter's aiming point um, regardless of who who was in the area and the fact that his, his arm got hit uh, was nowhere near even the, the the line of scrimmage marker so that was a that was obviously a very key play that took him from you know a potential I guess it would have been a potential fourth and one play right at the goal line mm-hmm. okay yeah the um and I think the time was going to be a factor there um mm-hmm. and that and they lost potentially a play it might have it might have been fourth and one. It might have been third and one. Third and one, yeah. Yeah. So they, because of the runoff, I think they lost, they lost some time there um, because of the penalty. So that kind of forced their hand. They only had time for one more play. Um, so that's probably what part of what upset him as well. But yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a judgment. You know, it's whenever the player is impacted, you can call it intentional grounding you can, or not. I, I tend to agree with you that he didn't look like he was really going to be able to get much on that throw regardless. And he was trying to avoid taking a sack. And that's the, mm-hmm. by definition, what intentional grounding is. So yep. get the ball over the line of scrimmage. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> there you go. Um, five of 15 on third down for the Ravens. One of four in the red zone. Unfortunately, there's an awful lot of similarity in the second number, even more than the first. And not that there's a lot of differentiation. I can, I can accept a game of five for 15. If they're back to six or seven for 15, then, you know, the next couple of games or, or, or the next game even. Um, but the one for four in the red zone, this is getting to be a very difficult story for this team. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's a weekly concern. Um, what, what was it? Something like over eight quarters, I think before they got a touchdown before this game in the, in the second quarter. So it had been quite a while. It's definitely been an issue for several games. I think even dating back to, um, you know, when, when Lamar Jackson was still playing, they, they had a very early season success in, in the red zone. And then that has really trailed off probably the past, you know, I would say eight or nine games. It's been a struggle um, probably well under 50%. Um, one of the worst in the league, definitely. And it just, it seems like they don't look like they're a threatening team when they're in the red zone. They don't seem to have good ideas. Um, and it's, it's difficult to watch. Um, and I mean, even when they get first and goal, it's, it's like, this is going to be pulling teeth to try and get a score here. Right. The problem is they don't even seem to get 
do the first and goal situation a lot of times. They're stuck between the 20 and the 10. Um, so that that's a challenge. And I, I hope that Lamar coming back will help things. But um, I think it's really a, it's a running thing. They don't, they don't seem to run the ball yeah. very well when they get into the red zone. And, and it's understandable why that would be true. More compacted defenses are harder to run against. And the Ravens are, are 30th in red zone percentage in the entire NFL, just to, just to lay that out there. And they're considerably worse than the teams that are at the median, which are, you know, look to be at about 53 and a third percent. So uh, they're, they're at 46.3%. There's only two teams worse, Indianapolis and New England, even Denver. Denver is better at, at over 50%. Uh, you know, there's some, it's mostly pretty bad teams at this end. I guess New England might be an exception. Uh, they're 32nd at 38.5%. So that's terrible. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely is not a, uh, a, a nice thing to have on your permanent, permanent record, you know, for, uh, for going forward. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it, it seems like there's, there has to be a way to fix it. Um, you know, they do seem to actually move the ball pretty well between the twenties. Like you have to hand that to the Ravens team. I think, you know, they are able to run the ball well. And then, like you said, it gets constricted. Um, there's more players in the box. Um, and, and it seems like they just don't have the right calls available. Um, running the ball becomes more difficult. And I'm, I'm wondering if it, it's more play action, you know, but it seems like everything they try and do when they pass, it doesn't work when they run, it doesn't work. Um, it just seems like teams have an idea of what's coming and there doesn't seem to be any like new creativity or new ideas as, as to how to fix it. So, um, we'll see the if Lamar thing, makes a difference, but yeah, I mean, the thing that the, the, the team has lived on Lamar moving laterally along the line of scrimmage and finding a throwing lane, doing that while extending a play. And that's worked so well. It's been the team's bread and butter. It may even have limited some red zone creativity, uh, which could be a knock on Roman a f- and, and potentially a fair one is that is that he hasn't come up with enough new stuff because that old stuff was so successful. And now with the current personnel, it's just it hasn't been as effective. I think one thing that would really help the Ravens if, is if they had a guy who could really easily make space for them to the outside, the way the Ravens often get beat down by the goal line, go flat and know how to make space for your quarterback and then have the, the confidence in the quarterback to have the accuracy to throw that ball in there for a, uh, you know, for an easy conversion, whether it's of two or the, or a touchdown, but they haven't, uh, they haven't really found that they, at least they haven't gone to that much. Yeah. And, and to make matters worse, they don't really seem to have the ability to hit home runs in this offense either. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the runs that they have that the kind of break out of, of the first and second line of, of the defense, you know, at most they seem to be going 25, 30 yards. They don't have the true like elite long speed at, at running back um and and they don't have the deep passing game either so they're able to get there but they don't have the means to either do it by a big play and they don't seem to have the means once they get there so um it's 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 a challenge for sure good good point on both sides and obviously you know the the piano deliveries that that uh Dobbins has had the last couple of weeks you know are, are an indication that's probably not coming back this season yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean he can't get a 15 or 20 yard run. It's just, if it's, if you're depending on him for a 50 yard run, he might not get it. And that's going to leave you so, with some red zone opportunities you then need to convert. And that just hasn't been as effective, obviously. So, yeah. I mean, Kenyon Drake was really the only one who had yes. that ability to kind of break one um, and, and beat a defender, a, a, you know, a secondary defender for the for a score. And, and he's the game day inactive now. So, and, and it makes sense, you know, I mean, I guess Justice Hill could potentially 
do that as well if, if he had you know the the opportunity but he's not really seeing the ball very much in, in the run game or the passing game so yeah I think valid point in both cases, but they really need to get somebody who, um, who who can make a play after the catch. Let's talk. I mean, Deshaun Jackson be the other guy. Maybe we'll talk about him in the second in the second part of this show. I want to talk a little bit about Huntley and how the Falcons, you know, set up their pass rush against. It was four men for the most part, um, but just to break it down in terms of ample time and space and what he had ample time and space on eight of seventeen. It's pretty nice when you only throw the ball seventeen times in in a football game. That includes passes and the zero sacks they had, both of them. Uh, so there, he was four for eight with ample time and space for 32 yards, 4.0 yards per play. That is dreadful, just absolutely <laughs> unbelievably dreadful. So needless to say, he didn't have any big plays when they uh, when they gave him ample time and space. He didn't make any real use of it down the field. And you know, honestly, the Falcons were often rushing four, so they had seven in coverage, and uh, just probably some discretion that went in there from from Huntley on those plays, but also was uh, you know not effective. I'll just toss out the rest of these statistics and then let you react to the whole thing. Six ball out quicks, 35% on which he went four of six for 43 yards, 7.2 yards per play. Nothing wrong with that. That's about what I would typically expect on balls out quickly. Um, By definition, you're not getting pressured on those plays. They tend to be a much higher percentage of completes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, two of them, two or three completed in this game or four or six completed in this game for 43 is, is not a bad yards per play number. Only three pressures the entire game. In 17 dropbacks. So we're getting to the offensive line scoring in the in the second half of the show, but spoiler alert, they're really great scores uh, with the uh, the passing game at least uh, holding up as well as it did. Uh, only one of three was completed of those pressure situations. Actually, that's not even terrible for 40 yards. And that was the, I think it was a long play to Watkins, unless I have it wrong. And it was the other long play they had during the game because they only really had two. It was Watkins. Yeah, it was the Watkins play, um, and that was, re- I mean, that was, that was a really nice play. I think that, that was one of the better plays that Huntley's had. I think since he's took over, um, the ability to actually extend the play and find the receiver downfield, um, that was a nice first play back for Sammy Watkins for sure. Um, it was, it was a, I think it was a point in the game. It was their second drive, um, mm-hmm. and maybe their third drive, um, but. Regardless, it was second drive, first play. It was one of those things where you're like, okay, why are you passing the ball first of all? <laughs> um, but now that you are, at least you got something out of it. So it's a little bit, um, a little bit concerning that that's the only way of actually finding you know downfield players is when you have to have a broken play. But at least they were able to convert a broken play into a big gain in that instance. So it, having someone like Watkins, a veteran receiver, probably helps out there. And that's that's the kind of throw you have. I I have absolutely no compunction about Lamar throwing that ball. I I, I have trust that he won't at least to a high enough percentage. He'll do more good than bad by throwing that football. Uh, with Huntley, I just don't have any trust at all. And him throwing the ball down the field on the sideline on the run, I'm going to expect reduced accuracy. And the, the the throw that the Watkins reminded me of was the throw to Drake that ended up helping them win the. Uh, the first game back, the one they rallied, that was I guess it was Denver, right? Where they, they came back mm-hmm. with a touchdown late with Huntley, and and uh, and the Drake play was the was kind of yeah. the big one. Uh, it's it's throwing to a spot in space where there's defenders in all directions, and your receiver is not exactly there. You really have to de- defend on the receiver getting to the right point. Uh, it just, I guess, it it might have been more safe. Than that throw to Drake was that throw to Drake moving left looked like I had interception written all over it, but this this throw probably a little more safe still i didn't like it yeah i mean 
I haven't gone to back and looked at exactly where the defenders were on the field. It looked like Watkins was pretty open. Um, I think there was somebody underneath of him. So like if he doesn't get enough on that throw, it definitely yep. turns into a risky throw. Um, but it seemed like, you know, he put it in a place where only, only his guy could get it. So ended up working out. Um, there's, you know, issues I think with, with Huntley at times, but I mean, his willingness to to not generally take those throws is something that I think is is one of the things that's holding the offense back. So I'm not going to be too upset by you know him actually trying to make a downfield play in, in this instance. All right, fair enough. Uh, Want to do the pass rush here real quickly? So they only did you only used a four or five man pass rush. So very uh, 14 times they used a, a four man rush, 109 yards, 7.8 yards per play, and three times they used a six a five-man rush for six total yards, so 2.0 yards per play. The touchdown came on a uh, on a four. Uh, Falcons didn't really go after Huntley, and I think a lot, very similar to what the Raiders did defensively to Ritter, they kind of decided, Huntley, you can you can make your mistakes from the pocket. We're going to drop seven. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's kind of – it's. It, I don't know if it says more about Huntley or more about what teams think of the Ravens passing offense right now, mm-hmm. because I, I think they're basically saying, you know, we're, we're going to sit in a pretty standard, you know, drop seven, whether it's man or zone. And we think that you're not, your receivers aren't going to get open and we're going to make your quarterback eventually feel uncomfortable in the pocket and either try to, you know, scramble and make something happen or, you know, try and force something. Um, because I don't think there's much respect for this passing offense right now. Um, and, th- and they don't need to try and open up the potential of a big play by bringing extra pressure. I mean, there's one thing they're definitely doing is the Browns did this more than any team, but they're, they're playing almost all zone defense against the Ravens and the, the Browns in particular, uh, I didn't even play an, a man snap until fairly late in that game. So you're aware. Um, but, but anyway, the, the, uh, uh, the notion is that you're respecting Huntley as a runner, which I think was kind of undeserved, frankly, after watching him play in that Pittsburgh game, uh, as opposed to um, respecting him as a passer. Because you, 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 if you play zone and you, know, you have good tight ends, big bodies who can get between level two and level three, you should get some open targets, even just by osmosis. You know, you just, just these are going to happen whether whether they should happen or not, whether the receivers are any good or not. I mean, just it's very hard to stay with guys who are just just trying to find a soft spot in a zone. And it, you know, still, obviously, it hasn't been all uh, you know wine and roses in those times. Yeah, and to me, that that's one of my frustrations I've I've had with with the Ravens passing offense because I do think that knowing how teams are trying to defend them there should be you know certain route combinations that would be able to you know pressure those those zones a little bit um it seems like in this offense they really have kind of abandoned the middle of the field almost entirely Mm -hmm. Um, it seems like it's a lot of quick outs um you know maybe five yard routes eight yard routes um and that's pretty much where demarcus robinson has has made his 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 money um and you know he hasn't really done very much um, in this offense recently, but that that's kind of what him and, and Deshaun Jackson have been doing. You know, it's, it's kind of just being able to find maybe a, an eight or ten yard comeback on the outside. And then Andrews, you know, he's been playing a little bit more isolation receiver um, than he has been um, in, in the past. But you know, he's also not being that guy over the middle that we we've seen from him. Um, Isaiah likely is barely being utilized. So I feel like 
you know, the Ravens have a couple weapons that they could use in the middle of the field, but they just aren't being, you know, targeted there or they aren't being put there in, you know, routes that are going to really be effective in, in these in these situations. Yeah, odd game. The Ravens only got two, had two different receivers with a catch of 10 or more yards. That was Andrews and Watkins mm-hmm. in this entire game over 10 yards, um, which is which is not good. I mean, you just need to, ha- you need to have more people. The Falcons, for example, had five guys with a long of 10 or more. So, uh, uh, you know, you, you, need, you just need to do better than that. And, and that was with the Ravens playing a pretty good game. Uh, let's move on. We'll talk about the Ravens, some more scheme things. One thing interesting has been the running back snap division these last few weeks. I've been trying to kind of keep an eye on that. Dobbins with 22 snaps in this game, Edwards 21, Hill 7, and they went with no running back on two two other plays. The one thing I thought we would see in this game, I don't know if you, what, you, what you thought about this, was, was that we would maybe see some pony backfield with the absence of Duvernay leading to jet motion being used by Hill as opposed to by some other receiver. And they ended up giving running Isabella in jet motion maybe four or five times during the game. Yeah, that's an interesting notion. I, I think it makes sense. Um, Hill has obviously been in this offense quite a bit and be familiar enough with how to you know run that role, I think. Um, and he has the speed to really threaten a team um, horizontally in that situation. So I think he could be successful there if they want to use him, um, line him up at a wide receiver or in the slot. Um, so that's something to maybe think of in, in the future to see if we can see that, but, um, you know, they just don't seem to have much of a role for Hill anymore. Um, you know, there was a time in this, this season where he, you know, was in there a decent amount. And obviously that was when the injuries with Dobbins and Edwards were much more significant. Um, but I felt like he added some, some kind of punch in, in the offense, you know, some, there's some explosiveness, some short area burst ability to kind of, um, make some make some music, so to speak, when there wasn't a lot going yeah. on. So I, I'm not sure why he's completely lost that ability, on, especially on like a third down, like a third and long draw type situation that you might might want to use him. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe maybe he comes back at some point. Maybe they like him with with Lamar better than with Huntley. That could be part of it too. Yeah, I, I think there might be something else going on. Is that they used him 24 times the previous week, and they really wanted to use him as a receiver. So one of the things we often note is that you know you've got a 43 under or a 43 not under on our score sheet, which means Justice Hill is being used as either a set or a chip blocker. And it, there seemed to be more of that on pass plays that they like him a little better than the other backs to be a, a, a pass blocking back. They used him 24 times against Cleveland but they were really using him more as a receiver in those games than they were as a pass blocker. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a mix of stuff, but the, but he'll, you know, went from against Cleveland having tied for the most snaps of any running back to having the fewest by a wide margin this week. So definitely, I think they could have done more with him. I, I don't think Isabella is all that exciting, a, a jet motion option. And I, I looked again, by the way, he only was in there for three snaps. So it seemed like they run him, ran him more than that. But uh, he actually played three snaps in the game. He was just in there on the most high leverage plays. You know? Yeah. It's interesting that, that uh, I don't think it was Isabella lining up um, improperly, but they they had a, a, a play that had an illegal formation that was about to happen. And Ricard actually motioned Isabella up the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And I think Isabella was basically saying, no, I'm in motion this time. And what almost had to be true was that one of the receivers on the left side was actually supposed to be on the right. Yeah. And I, I, just the amount that's happening to the Ravens this year 
just seems to be an awfully high relative to other teams. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I haven't kept track to count how many times, you know, the Ravens have been in these situations or other teams as well. Um, but it's for a team that relies so much on that, that type of pre-snap motion, you'd think that they would have it down to a science. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I mean, their entire offense is really predicated on motion. Whether they give it to a big man and have you know somebody motioning in the middle for for a for a pair of double team blocks, or whether you have a a jet motion situation coming out, it's just to get that wrong. It, it, it's so formation dependent that you would not think they get it wrong. But then they've also been running in a bunch of different wide receivers here who have been not in the organization for all that long. Yeah, I mean the the Ravens <laughs> wide receiver room is basically, um, you know the probably someone's you know 2018 uh, fantasy football draft <laughs> you know, <laughs> players that they thought might, might do well for them five years ago yeah we gotta we gotta go back and see when watkins was good but deshaun watson deshaun jackson's been in the league a lot longer uh in terms of of how they got the carries dobbins 13 of his 22 snaps he got the he got a touch edwards 11 out of 21 hill one out of seven yeah, there's certain guys, and obviously Dobbins and Edwards are both that in the Ravens offense, where they're designated touchers when they're in the game. Uh, and, and they might be a target of a pass. They might be they might be the run guy, but half the time or even a little bit more, and Edwards it has been more in recent weeks, uh, they, they get the ball. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's what the offense is now. You know, it's, it's Edwards and Dobbins, and that's where they're getting, you know, their most consistent play, you know, the, the biggest threat to actually have like a explosive, you know, 10, 20 yard run. That's, that's going to be out of those guys. It's not going to be Huntley. Um, and it's, it's definitely not in their passing game. Yeah. Only one other point I wanted to make like scheme wise, there's something we've been following all year is the number of heavies per play, 2.83 heavies per yeah. play this week. Now they'd averaged in the, in the neighborhood of 2.3 for the entire season, which is incredibly heavy. Uh, it's, it's, it's the heaviest, Probably in decades in the NFL, you know, the 2019 Vikings were slightly under two and are the only team that's close. Um, and, and, you know, it's just it's the heaviest offense in a, in a very long time in the National Football League. Uh, Ricard, Oliver and Andrews in this game all played 80 percent plus of the snaps would not shock me if they went into the playoffs. And, you know, people have been around, you know, football for five years as Ravens fans say we have to build the offense entirely around running the football. I sorry, entirely around uh, passing the football. So any draft pick that doesn't go to a wide receiver or any wide receiver passed up is a, is a mistake. But the truth of the matter is if you go back to some of the early Ravens, earlier Ravens playoff success, go back to the 2009 wild card win at new England. They ran the ball 52 times for over 250 yards. And they also passed the ball 10 times with Flacco and he completed four of those <laughs> and they still won the game. It can be done even in the playoffs. Don't tell me, oh no, it's 2022 now. It's 2022. Don't you understand? As if that you know has some gravitas to it. I mean, the truth of the matter is teams are, are giving up a lot more yards per run now also. So it's, you know, it's, it's not a terrible time necessarily to be leaning on the run. If you want to want to play the contrarian, uh, style. So I do kind of like the idea that that you know even if all does not seem right wide receiver wise, the Ravens have the, the the great defense to go along with a great running game, and that could take them on an entertaining playoff ride, even if they are unlikely with the current set of injuries and the current talent on this roster to go all the way. Yeah, um, I mean, with the the amount of heavy personnel, I think one thing I would say is is Andrews is 
I would say 60, 70% playing split out as either slot or, or tight end or, or wide receiver, like mm-hmm. basically the X Y receiver in this, in this offense. So he's not lined up, so to speak on the, you know, in line tight end p- position, but um, you know, he's definitely still in there blocking on, on uh, all those run plays. Um, and, and then I would just want to say, you know, congrats to Josh Oliver, I think being coming, you know, a, re- a reliable person blocker in this offense. I think he's really had an underrated season. Um, you know, even though he hasn't made so much of an impact as a pass catcher, you know, he's had a couple of touchdowns. He's made a few plays here and there. Um, he's targeted a couple of times in this game um, on, on deep plays. He does have some speed, um, but, you know, he wasn't getting like great separation. But, you know, I, th- I think his contribution kind of taking over for Nick Boyle and, and that pass or I'm sorry, run heavy, mostly run blocking u- utilization has, has been really important for this offense. Yeah, it has been. I don't think there's a wide receiver who would have taken his snaps away, who would have given the Ravens a lot more than what Josh Oliver has given them, which is, you know, obviously a great a great run blocker uh, so far this year, and a you know a guy they can rely on, frankly, for for some pass blocking as well. You know, they yeah. they needed to chip a fair amount this year. They've got that, and they've got some receiving out of him too. So it's a good mix of mix of skills, and it gives you a little more as a receiver, obviously, than Nick Boyle uh, did, uh, even when he was when was, when he was healthy. Uh, we, uh, have to call it here for the, the first part of this show, but want to, want to thank, uh, Gabe for coming on. Gabe, tell folks, uh, first of all, where can they can talk football with you online and about your show right here on filmstudybaltimore.com. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Gabe Fergie. Um, I'm pretty active during the week talking about Ravens, uh, other NFL or sports related things. Um, definitely like to, you know, chat with anybody who wants to have a conversation. Um, i am a co-host of the the situation room podcast we've kind of had some scheduling difficulties this month um due to my my co-host um being traveling a lot but you know i think we're hopefully going to get back before lamar does or maybe (laughs) lamar Lamar gets back before we do i'm not quite sure but one of us will make it back before the end of the season Uh, i hope Um, i hope you'll both make it back by the end of the season let me just say that yeah me too it's it's um i've been missing having uh, record a uh, weekly podcast, but hopefully we'll get, we'll get one up soon. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Um, hopefully, you know, follow me on Twitter and, you know, we can ha- have some, uh, good conversations. Jordan's, uh, on the show a lot as well. I, both of them are outstanding follows on Twitter. So it's at Raven sit room. Make sure you follow him and at Gabe Fergie, make sure you follow him. They're, they're, uh, uh guys, you really want to make sure you're, uh, you're catching their comments during the week as they, uh, as they, uh, put them out other folks out there if you'd like to be on a film study short hit me up uh with a dm on twitter if you want to promo the show in any way you can we'd love you to write a review if you listen to this point you're probably a fan of the show we, we appreciate you uh and uh we'd love for you to write a review if you could on, on whatever platform you listen on uh gabe thanks again for coming on yeah thanks for having me and we'll talk to you next time on film study Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.